This podcast is part of the BombPod Media Network. of This Week in True Crime History. Join me as I dig into the recent and not-so-recent past to uncover true crime stories on the week of their anniversary. You can find This Week in True Crime History on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. For more information, visit us at thisweekintruecrime.com. Welcome to episode 62 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. My name is Jerry, and I'm here with, uh, you know who, Tracy. <laughs> well, y'all know who, too, I guess. <laughs> hey, what's up, everybody? <laughs> All right, we've got uh, some cool stuff for you tonight. We've got a story that we've been uh, contemplating on telling for a while. It's uh, on the secluded, haunted, forbidden island right off the coast of Italy called uh, Provilla Povilla Island. That's, sorry, I'm not real good with my Italian, unless it's lasagna or spaghetti. I'm, yeah. pretty good with, I'm pretty good with that. You are. But we're going to tell that story. Uh, really cool. We did a, a listener story last week, but we kind of did it in the style that we do our other stories. It's gotten a really good response, so we got two more of those to do. Really cool stories. And uh, so if you guys have uh, a longer, detailed story that you want to send us on something that's happened to you, we'll be more than happy to uh, read it at some point in time on the air. That'd be great. Also, we've got uh, Andrea Whitney on because our uh, nice little newspaper release will be out uh, by the time you hear this. So that's pretty cool. And she's going to tell us about about the uh, Black Hope Horror, which is an awesome story out of Texas that we talked about last week. It was the uh, story that the poltergeist movie was actually based on so i can't i can't wait we are going to do the uh, itunes reviews and stuff a little later in the show okay Uh, so we can just get started with this story so are you ready to get started i'm ready all right so let's talk about pavilion island pavilion island is just a it's a small island off the northern coast of italy it's very isolated which is actually what's going to lead to its horrible past um that goes all the way back hundreds of years Mm mm-hmm this goes back to even the Roman times, back in the uh, the Roman days. Romans would actually take thousands of people that were dying of various plagues back then uh, that had hit Europe. They would actually take them to this island because it was so secluded and basically just kind of leave them there to die because there was no cures for these things yeah, back then back either. Yeah, back in the day, yeah. And um, this continued in the mid-1300s when the Black Death actually hit, which the Black Death was caused by the uh, bubonic plague. Oh, Wow. That's terrible. And it happened, you know, actually two different phases of this. It happened in the mid-1300s, but it also happened in the 1600s. And in both cases, people were actually taken 
from all over Europe, mainly Italy though, taken over to this island and left for dead. Now, how bad was the was the Black Death? When it hit Europe, it was estimated that it killed 30 to 60% of the European population. Oh my gosh. Think about that. Some estimate that it reduced the world's population from 450 million to 350 to 375 million. Oh my goodness. That's how bad this this whole thing was. That's so crazy. No wonder they had to do that. Right, and they would take them over there obviously, but not only just because of that, if they had any fear at all that you had some, if you had a cold or a slight mm-hmm. cough, they were sending you over there. Oh man. And now, obviously when they sent you over there, that was pretty much a death sentence. Mm-hmm. You you weren't coming back. You went to that island, that's where you went to die. I wonder how many people fought. No, no, no. It's just a sniffle. It's my sinuses. <laughs> you could you imagine that? It'd be like <laughs> just hay fever. Oh my gosh, that is the saddest thing ever, though. I mean, could you imagine if you just swallowed something and it went down the wrong and way you and you coughing? coughed and it'd be like, no, no, no. <laughs> try to hold that back. So, yeah. anyways, <laughs> it's not funny. But. So on the island, they would have these huge what they called plague pits. And a plague pit was this giant pit that sounds just like what you think it would be. They would throw the dead, and in some cases, people that were too weak to fight back, in there and burn their bodies. Oh, no, they were still alive? In some cases, yes. Oh, gosh. It's estimated that 160,000 people died on this tiny island. And when I say tiny... crazy. I couldn't find any actual measurements for Mm -hmm. the island, but it looks like by the pictures that you see, the aerial pictures and seeing the size of the building, it don't look like it could be any more than 10 miles. Oh, dude. Long. And, it, and that might even be too far. It might be closer to like five to seven miles. I'm not a cartographer. That's people who make maps. I know you're going to give me that oh, look. Oh, dang. As as I'm, I'm just shocked that you know that word. <laughs> <laughs> so there were so many bodies buried on this island that to this day, bones still keep popping up. From not only the surface through regular erosion or just natural sediment, but sometimes they get washed out to sea, mm-hmm. and then the current washes them back up on the on the beach. Oh, that's just wrong. It's said that when you walk on the island, it just feels different because of all the hollow bones that mm-hmm. are underneath. People have estimated that. It, the ground is made up of about 50% bones and human remains and 50% Oh, my God, dirt. no. <laughs> that is so disturbing. Yeah, that's pretty disturbing. Hmm. So you got that situation. So you've got 160,000 people on this little bitty island that were pretty much just so banished you, there for plagues. If you're walking anywhere, a ghost could be like, get off my leg. Yeah, no kidding. Like that. That's so, so sad. Yeah, they said people come across these bones almost on a daily basis. Hmm. Now, keep in mind... The only people that are really able to come there now are like ghost hunters and oh yeah it's stuff like that. Yeah, because would... it's they don't allow the they don't allow public to just go out oh, there. My gosh, that's now fishermen kind of get close to the island, and uh, because nobody's able to go out there, so there's a mm-hmm. lot of fish right there by the island because oh. there's just no oh, dude. Yeah, nobody goes sense. out there. Yeah, so the fishermen go out there, and they said they constantly come across bones in their nets. Oh. And keep in mind, this is like literally hundreds of years since all this took place. Wow. In uh, 1922, they built a mental hospital there, which some people say that it goes back to the late 1800s, but the reports that I got said it was built in 1922. On that island where they, the people... They built a... Yeah. 
they built a mental hospital because it was not being used for a long time. This is, you know, so you go from like 1600s where the plagues was. And then, well, the only time it was really used in between mm-hmm. is Napoleon actually had, um, you know, like he was storing gunpowder and mm-hmm. weapons and stuff there. It's quick because it was so secluded. He thought it would be a cool place to have. But there were some little battles and stuff that happened there when people would find out. So, hey, more death. More little people killed and during war. Mm-hmm. Out there. So, in 1922, they built this mental hospital. Um, mainly because of seclusion. That uh, Italy, there, there are people that had really bad mental disabilities. They didn't want them around. So, it was easier just to ship them off to this island where they was nothing. Nothing except for the hospital. And um, obviously, as you could probably guess, there was horrific stories that came out about mistreatment of the people Aww. there by, by the people who worked there. That's terrible. Several patients claimed to see paranormal activities, but the thing of it is, is most people deemed them to be insane. Yeah. So when they would tell people so about it, would probably listen it just got, them, yeah. Yeah, just got brushed under the rug, so nobody would listen to them. So technically, these people that were seeing things, or, mm-hmm. or most people assume are really seeing things, they were just for, further tortured mentally on top of what the problems they and already that sucks. had. The worst stories, though, are about the head doctor. They don't even there's not even a name that was given to this guy, but he would perform experiments on patients. And we've heard about some of these experiments before, like at Waverly oh, and, yeah. and uh, some of these other hospitals. But he would perform these experiments. He would even take them up to the bell tower, which is the tallest tower mm-hmm. uh, on the island. It's still there, matter of fact, to this oh. day. The bell tower is still there. He would take them up and perform lobotomies with a hammer and chisel. Holy crap. These people weren't given any anesthesia because they wanted to see what would move and not move. What a bunch of sick-ass people. Well, it even gets deeper because the doctor actually enjoyed this. He was like the epitome of what would you consider to be a mad scientist. So he just needs it done on him. Right. Well, the story goes that, ironically, he started to see all these ghosts and apparitions that his patients were seeing. And so much to the point where it drove him mad. Mm-hmm. So he decided that he was going to go up to the bell tower and threw himself off. Well, good. Straight to the ground. Now, some people say he threw himself off. Other people say that he might have had a little help, little help from some spirits. But the end result was he threw himself to the ground. Good riddance. Now, sure. the legend says that he didn't die. He laid <laughs> the, he laid there suffering. Cool. And a strange mist rose up from the ground and actually choked the doctor to death. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. It's a vengeful. Karma mist. is a biatch. So then the mist took the doctor's body and placed him basically somewhere in a hidden spot somewhere oh, on the so island. Oh, so gently? <laughs> yeah. So he's hidden somewhere on the island, so they never supposedly never found so his don't, body. So they never find him? Yeah. Wow. Now, obviously, the, off, the, uh, the island's off limits to the public. I said that already. Uh, the only people visiting are ghost hunters. Uh, ghost Adventurers actually did a show from there. Oh, wow. That would be so yeah. scary. So I, I can go everywhere. I know, man. I don't know if I can hang on that island or not. So what happens when you get to this island? People say they feel a presence as soon as they actually step foot on oh, the island. Oh, I bet. And, well, of course, you're stepping on a bunch of dead bones and Aww. all that stuff. So you can hear moans. You can hear voices. You hear things screaming at you. 
which we'll get into a little more here in a second. <laughs> You're standing on my face. You hear, <laughs> you hear some booming um, sounds and you hear knocks. They had a daredevil that tried to spend the night there. He went into the asylum and he said he heard a booming voice tell him to leave and not return. And that's exactly what he did. Good for him. I feel so sorry for those people. Like, no. That's a horrible, horrible death. In the 1970s, some people actually bought the island and it was uh, going to turn the hospital into a hotel. They showed up. They felt something kind of funny going on. And then they canceled the deal. So they decided that they couldn't do it. I just can't imagine that would work at all. A hotel. I mean, there and there was a family who actually had part, purchased like part of the island. They were going to make like a summer home or something there. They went there. They lasted one night. One night. One night. They came in there. Their daughter ended up having a, a huge split developed on her face that needed like fourteen stitches. What the crap? They couldn't, they couldn't figure out what caused it, but they moved. They moved, and that was it. In 2014, the Italian state tried to actually auction off a 99-year lease, mm-hmm. which they did, but the deal never actually got done. Um, they were it was wanting somebody to turn it into, you know, the, what we talked about turned into some kind of a um, hotel or something. Mm-hmm. Now, what was going to happen on this lease is the Italian state was still going to own it, but you could develop it and do whatever you wanted for the 99 right. years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they 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 sold the deal. They got a buyer, but they've still not worked at all the details, so it never really happened. So how about that? Well, I mean, I think nobody should be on that island. They should just <laughs> let them rest in peace for once, you know, not be bothered. Now, I thought this was full because this actually was recent. But in 2016, five people from Colorado, uh, they went out there. They drove like a, a water taxi mm-hmm. and got to the island, and they decided they were going to try to spend the night. <laughs> And they said that almost as soon as it got dark, there was a presence that started haunting them. And uh, it started messing with them too much that they started screaming and stuff. And some sailboats that were going by actually heard the screams. So they called the Italian uh, police and they sent the firefighters out. And the firefighters had to rescue them from the island. Oh, man. They're lucky somebody heard them. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like I said, it's... Uh, you can't just go out on that island. Yeah. If you're not a ghost hunter or special privileges or whatever, you can't go to that island just because it's so haunted. Yeah. And there's insane. been so many problems. They just won't allow people out there. Yeah. Well, that's probably a good thing. I know I sure wouldn't want to go out there. So, anyways. That was a cool story. We're going to do a couple of listener stories. Okay. And I really, to be honest with you, I know people are always saying... Hey, I wish you guys would do some stories. And we've heard this one. We've heard that one. I know y'all put a different twist, but we like the stories nobody's heard. And I think that's what I like about these listener stories, because some of them are actually really good. And they come across every bit as well as some of these other stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact of, of the matter is, nobody's heard these, except for the person who told them. Yeah, of course. So, you know, if you like the stories that are different out there than what you've heard, then these work out pretty good. So what we're the first one we're going to tell tonight... It's from Travis Boyce in Australia. And Travis... Good day, mate. How was that? <laughs> okay. Was that terrible? Unexpected. That wasn't bad. Hey. Now, Travis might be able to tell you different, but, yeah, Travis you know. will probably be like, um, yeah, you screwed that one up. <laughs> I did find out something in the midst of his story. You know, like in America, on a beach where we'll have a dock or a pier, mm-hmm. they don't call it that. They call it a jetty. A jetty? Yeah. So, huh. 
Anyways. That's interesting. Yeah. So anyways, so let's talk about Travis's story. Now, this goes back to approximately 2003. Travis uh, had known Samantha, who would eventually become his wife, for about six years at this point. They just recently started dating. They were about a month in, and they decided one night that they were going to go out to dinner. Travis couldn't help but to notice that Sam seemed a little off, a little different, we'll say, this night. It was almost like she was preoccupied with something, so he just automatically chalked it up to she probably had a bad day at work. Mm -hmm. I would have probably chalked it up to PMS. That's just me, though. I don't. That's what you should never chalk that up to a woman and say that. I didn't say I would. Okay, well, I just, just said, but that's just what I chalk it up to. It, whenever a woman is bitchy, it's PMS, as far as I'm concerned. That's just me. I could be wrong. You probably. I'm sure are. I'll hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so they. He talks it up to being a bad day at work. It, it was a beautiful night, warm, nice breeze. The moon was amazing. So they decided to take a walk on, on the beach down on the pier. or it's The jetty. The, the jetty. So as they're walking along, Sam just kind of stopped Travis and said, Hey, I need to, I need to talk to you. Uh-oh. He's thinking he's getting the axe. That's exactly right. His mind, like most guys, just automatically thought the worst. This is the breakup talk that every guy dreads. Unless it's Christmas or close to her birthday. Then you don't dread it so much because yeah. you save that money on gifts. <laughs> but that that made this next event even kind of more surprising. Now, Sam started off by telling Travis that Pop was standing next to him. Now, Pop was tra Travis's grandfather. Mm-hmm. Now, Travis must have had this look of shock and, and, like, total disbelief on his face because Sam was like, you know, hey, don't walk away. <laughs> so she must have thought he was going to take off running, <laughs> which you could imagine. Yeah. You're just dating for a month and somebody just all of a sudden stops oh you Lord, on the beach. Yeah. And so anyway, she went on to describe what Pop was wearing. Mm -hmm. Very distinct. So she had never met him before? No. Oh. No, they'd only been dating for a month. A month, uh-huh. But she said he was wearing a green Australian military hat, navy blue blazer. Um, had It had an insignia over the right chest. He had a white dress shirt with a navy tie that about three-quarters of the way down had a single red stripe on it. Oh, dang. That sounds handsome. Gray pants, shiny black belt, and very shiny black shoes. She said all the clothes were, were pressed with like a military-style crispness. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now... Sam had a very weird message for Travis. At least she thought so. Mm -hmm. She said, Pop said, hey, Charlie, I'm proud of you. I'll be watching over you and Nana. Okay, heck? Now, what Sam didn't know is that Charlie and Heck were two pet names that Pop had for Travis and his two male cousins. No. So I guess that's why the Charlie and the Heck probably didn't make sense to her. Yeah. Because he was Travis, but that's what his grandpa always oh, called Oh, very him. cool. Now, the clothes she described, Pop wearing, obviously, were his favorite clothes. That's what he wore for every important event. And they were always pressed and pleated with, the, with military-grade pleats and folds. But they were also the clothes that Pop was buried in. Oh. So there's more, believe it or not. Wow. She also said that she could smell imperial leather soap. Now, that was Pop's favorite soap. Now, keep in mind, they're out on the beach, and the only thing Travis could smell was the ocean. Mm -hmm. He's not smelling any of this. But this is the cool part. Even to this day, now, keep in mind, this was back 2003, so we're 14 mm -hmm. years later. 
But even to this day, Sam will occasionally smell this imperial leather soap. And she'll tell Travis that Pop came by to check on us. Aww. That's the sweetest thing. I know it. Now, the funny thing is that when she smells this, Mm -hmm. usually something in the house will kind of go missing or get moved. Like, for example, remotes and keys Mm -hmm. and uh, cell phones and stuff like that. And they'll go looking all over the place for them. And they always end up where they initially were to begin with. They reappear back where they were, even though they have both looked there numerous times and it wasn't there before. Oh, dang. So it sounds like Pop was a prankster. It sounds like. So, but I wonder, well, I mean, she don't have any kind of, like, uh, I don't know. Psychic or, or I don't know, I don't know it, what it, I'm trying to it, say. At, but. at least when it comes to Pop, she does. Well, that is so sweet. I love Pop. And that's Travis's story. Oh, Travis, that was an awesome story. You must feel so honored hanging around you. Yay. I think so. And, it, and like I said, that that's a cool story because it had a good little yeah, beginning, middle, and end. It and, sure and did. I like the positive ones. Now, we told the story last week. And if you remember, the guy, the stereo came on. Yeah. It was Mark's story. But the, the stereo came on. And uh, I'm sorry, I said it was Mark. It was Brian's story. I'm sorry. Anyway, the stereo came on. And it was broken and unplugged. And you said, well, how did he turn it off? Right. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, and he said he, he don't remember exactly, but he thinks he just beat on it until it quit stop or quit working. And he said he shortly threw him, threw him away anyway. He threw he it did. away. Yeah, he said he didn't want it enough. He threw that and the fan away. Oh, dude, yeah. I so, probably freaked him out a little bit, I'm sure. Yeah. So here's what we're going to do. Before we get into Andrea's story, God, this is such an awesome story. I've got another story from a listener that I thought was really cool. Now, this is from Mary up in uh, Vermont. I believe she's probably our only Vermont listener. Oh, thank I think you, Mary. There's only like seven people that live there. So <laughs> that would be a heavy part of the population. I'm sure that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, we love you, Mary. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you, Mary. We appreciate you sending the story because I thought it was a really cool story. Now, Mary had some tragedy uh, at a very early age, okay, in her, in her life involving her parents, which is always a sad thing. So let's give a little background on her parents, first of all. Her parents were actually married in 1952, and they spent their honeymoon in Niagara Falls. Very Mm -hmm. cool. There was a toxic waste spill, and they had to be evacuated. Now, I'm assuming that what's going to take place in the rest of the story um, is going to kind of be blamed on this toxic spill. Oh, that's terrible. Because now we're going to skip ahead to 1981. Keep in mind, this was 1952, so this mm-hmm. is almost 30 years later. In 1981, Mary's father was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Aww. Mary was only 11 years old at this time. He sadly passed away a year later in October of 1982. I'm sorry, Mary. Me too. Hugs. Now, soon after that, Mary's mom was also diagnosed with a brain tumor. No way. And that's why I say I'm assuming that that bit of information yeah. was probably somehow tied oh, in there. Oh, Mary, I'm sorry, honey. Well, obviously, after being diagnosed with a brain tumor, uh, it didn't turn out very well. She unfortunately passed away a few years later in 1984. Mm. Now, Mary now was 13 years old and had lost both of her parents. Yeah. On the day of her mom's funeral, Mary and one of her friends, and this is a friend that she actually had known since she was four years old, um, and still really good friends with today, and that'll, that'll come up a little bit later, but they went back to Mary's house. Of course, just like after a normal uh, funeral, a lot of times yeah. everybody kind of gathers at the house, mm-hmm. 
you know, Mary not really wanting to be around all the adults and everything, her and her friend decided they were going to sneak up to her room, get away from everybody. Of course. Because all the adults were in the, the kitchen or the dining room. So Mary and her friend, they start going upstairs. Now, in order to get to Mary's room, you had to walk down a hall and then turn left, then to go up the stairs. Mm-hmm. So they, they go down and they turned that corner and went to the staircase and her friend actually put her hand on the banister, right, mm-hmm. and looked up. At the time that they, because they were both starting up the stairs at the exact same time, and at that time, Mary looks up and she sees both of her parents at the top of the stairs. Oh, wow. Now, seeing this, you would think, you know, obviously I just came from a funeral. I'm probably emotional. Yeah. I saw this, but I probably really didn't see what i think i just saw of course and to be that age that's a lot to handle right a figment of my imagination and she said she wasn't scared at all she just you know she just wasn't so she continued walking up the steps but her friend didn't and when she mary got to the top of the steps she actually turned and she noticed her friend was still at the bottom of the steps and was white as a ghost oh no yeah and she said hey are are you coming and her friend was like you know, reluctantly, it's like, yeah, I'm coming. But they they didn't talk about this at all. So nothing more was said, period, about it. So now we're going to skip ahead to two years ago. Now keep in mind, this was 1984. And now we're looking two years ago, which would have been 2015. Like no, 30, good Lord, I never later. spoke of it all those years. Yeah. So Mary decided she was going to ask her friend about it. And before she could even ask the question... Her friend started freaking out and telling her that what she saw that day. Now, looking back, Mary kind of believes that that was her parents' way of letting her know that her and her dad were, that her mom and her dad were back together. Yeah. And that everything was going to be okay. Aww. So that's Mary's story. Mary, that is so sweet. And I'm sorry you had to endure that. That's really terrible for somebody so young. But and I know it's a good feeling to know your parents were back together with each other. And I'm, I know they were probably with you every single day. But I just think it's so crazy that you guys never talked about that all those years. That's so funny. See, Ninja senses things, so he can, he can sense that that was very odd. Yeah. Thank you for your input, Ninja. We appreciate you. <laughs> But anyway, that was uh, that was our two listener stories for this week. I those are good. I hope you enjoyed that we do those because... I think they're very cool. And, man, I'm telling you, we've got some other cool ones coming up, well, too. thank you guys already... for sharing. Yeah, thank you guys for sharing those with us. I mean, that is, that's really awesome. Yeah, and like I said, if you guys want to send them to us, you know, if if, if we've got enough detail mm-hmm. to where we can make a story out of it, we'll be more than happy to oh put them gosh, on Oh, my gosh, please do. I can't wait to hear some more stuff. All right, and since we didn't do it at the beginning of the show... Uh, Once again, a big shout out to all of our military and all of our uh, civil servants and first responders out there. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, guys. We love you all. God bless you. Let's do a couple of quick uh, iTunes reviews. uh, Thank yous. We've got uh, Abe from North Carolina, History Liker, Snowflake Cutie, uh, (laughs) Luna Bluma Black Eyed. (laughs) No clue where that comes from. That's cool. Jennifer DeWald actually gave us another one, and she's such a sweetheart. Uh, Shock8425, Miss in Kentucky, MarlerHouse.com, Samurai Snail, 
and uh, Bean Smelker. Thank you, guys. We love you. Yep. And we've only had one uh, Patreon uh, this past week. That was Josh Hayes. Josh, thank you for your support. And while we're on the subject of Patreon, we got some cool stuff coming up. Uh, what I'm going to do, uh, if you're not a member of Patreon yet, it's a good time to sign up because for every one of our listeners, even the dollar listeners, uh, that usually if you sign up for the dollar, you get a chance to win some t-shirts and you get a shout out, but you don't get any of the bonus episodes. You have to spend the 3 or $5 to get the bonus. But what I'm going to do for the rest of this month, we're going to throw a couple of extra bonus episodes in. They're only like 10 minutes. They're going to be short stories, but I'm going to do two or three of those the rest of the month for just because it's Halloween and as an extra thank you to you guys. So everybody who's at least a dollar supporter will get those episodes. So that'll be coming up. Uh, we just finished doing the the um, next Patreon episode, which will come out tomorrow night. And it was pretty awesome. It's uh, four or five uh, stories about haunted houses over in England. They were shorter stories, but they're really cool stories. So thank you guys so much for your support. We greatly appreciate that. And uh, also one quick little plug. We have changed from a t-shirt store, which we did. If you went to the store to buy t-shirts, you will see that it was couple of different designs and you just click the paypal button and you ordered your shirt now we have a full-fledged store so if you haven't been there yet go check it out we have everything from mugs to shower curtains that's right i said shower curtains shower curtains mugs rugs blankets uh, all kinds of t-shirts and for you ladies that are always talking about uh, you want some more choices in shirts you have an exuberant amount of choices now i have all kinds of v-necks i've got long sleeves i got baseball shirts different colors uh, i got shirts i didn't even know existed until we threw a logo on it so go check it out very affordable and we they ship anywhere in the world which is one of the reasons why we changed because some of the shirts that we had for whatever reason the, the company i was getting they kind of changed a little bit and now when i want to send one overseas it's a real headache and not everything's available to me so we made this switch but i think you guys will ha- be happy for that you can check out our patreon or check out the new store at hillbillyhorrorstories.com uh, check it out uh, right now what i want to do is i told you we were going to bring on uh, andrea whitney who wrote the uh, fantastic story about us thank i want to thank her so much but she has an awesome couple of stories to tell she's going to talk about the black hole horror which i find completely fascinating and she's also got a couple of personal stories from where she grew up in a funeral home that i think you guys are going to enjoy so check this out guys we've got a special guest on the line we've got miss andrea whitney and she is the uh, editor-in-chief for the jasper newsboy am i correct on that yes you are jerry Okay, I have a tendency to screw stuff up, so I figured it'd be important not to screw this one up because (laughs) Miss Whitney was nice enough to write a very awesome article on Tracy and myself that's going to be blasting out amongst several newspapers across the U.S., and we couldn't be happier to have her on the show tonight to talk a couple of seconds about the article, but even more importantly, she has a story to share with us that you guys are going to absolutely love. So, uh, Andrea, thank you so much for the article and for coming on with us. Yes, thank you so much, sweetie. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I love coming on your show. Awesome. Yeah, people will remember that you actually came onto the show, uh, what, probably six months ago? And told an awesome story about a haunted house in Texas. 
and uh, we got a lot of that good, is right. yeah, a lot of good response on that particular uh, show because it was so detailed. And I think what you got for us tonight is going to be even more detailed and uh, a more well-known case, uh, which you know, to the general public, we we spoiled the bag a little bit last week by saying uh, that it was the what the movie Poltergeist was actually based on was this uh, story. So we've kind of let that cat out of the bag, so to speak. <laughs> A little bit, but I think there's still enough differences that people will still enjoy it. <laughs> I mean, it's a great story. It's it's really good. Let's talk uh, first about the article and how this came to be. You actually uh, have okay. been a fan of the show for a while and approached us several months back about doing this, and it was just a matter of getting the timing right, and you actually changed from one newspaper to another in the midst of the time you were going to originally do this. So you've had some nice life changes uh, for the better uh, career-wise, and I think in the I end have. it benefited both of us. I think so, um, and, and I think that this story, I mean, being able to reach multiple platforms, you know, I, I'm glad that we waited to roll it out um, because when I knew that I may possibly be going to bigger and better things, I kind of sat on it, you know, for lack of better words, for quite a few months, and, you know, I just think that now's the time, um, you know, it, and for you guys, your podcast is really, it's really beginning to take off. It's always been on a steady climb, but here, I mean, if you look at the stats, it, it's really blowing up now. So I thought, why not go ahead and roll the whole thing out? And just like in our area, I mean, you know, we're the Beaumont, Houston, San Antonio, but then you also have, you know, Jasper, Newton, the smaller areas, they're not as familiar with podcasting, and so what better of a way to bring it to those listeners than by, you know, just blasting it across every platform we can at one time. So as of right now, um, I know you're, you're, it's in Beaumont, Jasper, we're talking San Antonio and Houston, which we have a, a great listener base already, so I'm excited for those guys to be able to, to look in the paper and, and see us there, considering that they give us a lot of support already. Uh, and then I think mm-hmm. uh, other other papers that are that are owned by your, your uh, uh, media group, uh, so I know we've talked about yes. the possibility of uh, San Francisco Chronicle, a couple of uh, papers in... Uh, um, New we've Orleans got area? papers. Um, our company is actually Hearst Media. We own Cosmopolitan Magazine. There's from literally, I mean, from San Francisco to New York. I mean, so it's getting it out to, you know, everyone that picks it up. I mean, that's a different state, a different group, you know, a different demographic that you can reach. So, I mean, you're talking nationwide here. So it, it could be really, you know, this could be good. And it could be good for me, too, so for both of us. So, actually, what I want to do right now, because that is a very good point, is we're putting this on our, our uh, all of our social media platforms. And what we want you guys mm-hmm. to do is go click on it and read the story, not just because we think it's very cool, but it actually helps uh, Andrea out to get these clicks on because that gives her the ability to write more stories like this in the future, not for us, but like for anybody else. Uh, that that might be of help of getting uh, a big article like this written on them. So absolutely, and I would appreciate you know every look, every click. It helps. It helps our company. I mean, you know, let's be realistic here. Print media is a dying breed. So for those of us who are you know your true, I mean, diehard journalists who started out in small papers, and I mean we're you know we're literally fighting tooth and nail to keep this thing alive. And you know while we 
we love our the web and tech and things like that. I mean, our home is is on the paper. So, I mean, you know, anything that we can get helps us. I think what everybody really wants to know is, are we going to be in Cosmopolitan? That's always been a dream of mine. <laughs> that would be disturbing. <laughs> you know, that would. I just had this, this really funny thought. You know, that would be funny, wouldn't it? If it if it hit Cosmo, I mean, you know, how would you? That would be kind of cool. That would be disturbing. That would be disturbing. That would that would be cool. I'm sure Jerry could provide some great pictures for the women out there. Don't you think so, Tracy? Oh yeah. I mean, come got, on. I got a few that would be <laughs> blow your mind. Yeah, it's all about the tips. I've got I've got I've got some tips that really need to be in that magazine. These uh these little quizzes and stuff I see I don't really think are very realistic, but I could probably put some realism to it. But you can take it down to like to to the the real level, right? You Absol- know, not Absol- absolutely. Well, let's do this. That's enough talking <laughs> about us. Everybody here gets to hear us all the time. So, what I want to do is I want you to talk really briefly about how you got into all this horror stuff because you've actually been writing uh, and investigating uh, horror type, scary type stories for Halloween from, you know, since you've got mm-hmm. into this business, talk a little bit about that real quick and then we'll go into our story. Um, okay. Basically, you know, I've always had a fascination. Um, I grew up in a funeral home. There you go. <laughs> when most kids were playing hide and go seek outside, we were hiding in caskets. I mean, that's just, <laughs> so I've always had, a very healthy respect for death. My mom was actually the one who kind of turned us on to all of that. So pretty much I've, I've always loved it. And then after college, well, actually in college, I kind of started, I did a thesis, you know, on on this, this story we're about to talk about. And then, um, you know, being a journalist, I thought nobody hits on paranormal stuff. Nobody does. And the ones that do, it comes out so... I mean, so stupid, for lack of better words, that it's not believable. And I know that these people, they have stories to tell. So I just, you know, on a whim thought, okay, I'm going to, you know, bite the bullet and do it. And then my readers just went crazy for it. And so every year I spend the whole month, well, I spend all year preparing for it. But then the month of October, we roll out new stories, you know, I mean, one after the other after the other. And each year, I mean, more and more people jump on the bandwagon and more and more people actually, you know, start reading stuff. People that have said, hey, you know what, something like that happened to me. I mean, you know, I had the county judge call me today and said, hey, you know what, I've got a place for you. It's where I used to grow, you where I grew up at. I mean, last year it was a police chief. This year it's the county judge. You know, it crosses everybody. Everybody's got something that they can't explain. I don't care who you are. (laughs) I was going to say, you mentioned the police chief, and, uh, you know, we've, uh-huh. had, we've had some stories on here from uh, uh, police officers, first responders, about things they've encountered, and, and uh, we made the comment on that episode that it would be cool to do a whole show of nothing but stories like that, and you had mentioned to mm-hmm. us in, in the story that you told the first time you were on about the police chief actually noticing, uh, I think it was like a base uh, stand-up bass in the window that just kind of disappeared the next time he came by and you had mentioned that he's got other stories and uh, we're going to try to actually get him on the show to tell us some some paranormal stories from that side i know one of them you briefly told me we won't spoil it by talking about it but it's an awesome story and i can't wait to have him on to talk about it 
I think it would be great to have him on. And he's actually one of those that would be, I mean, he would be willing to do it. Some of them are kind of, you know, they don't want to do it, but not not Paul. He, he would just jump right in there. I think, I mean, and I think he would be just, he would be perfect. He would keep everybody, you know, enthralled because he's just, he's that kind of person. You just want to listen to him. Okay, let's jump into this story. Now, you had mentioned on the phone that you had done your, I think you said your thesis on this. and I did. I looked up a little bit of information on it, and to be honest with you, I was vaguely familiar with it, but not really familiar. Mm -hmm. And the more I started kind of digging into it, I thought, oh my God, this is awesome. But as I've done in the past... I would love to do this story, but it would be senseless for me to try to do this story and do it justice when you've actually got so much information and and actually interviewed so many key people to this that I figured, you know, let's bring Andrea on, let her tell it because you did such a great job the last time. It was a perfect opportunity to bring you on. So tell us about the Black Hope Horror. Okay. I spent about nine months pulling all of this together. You know, I was taking a um, a psychology class, and I need you know I needed the credit. I thought, hey, why not? You know, while everybody's doing their thesis stuff on you know mental illness and and relationship issues, I thought, well, I'm going to really go off kilter here and and do the black hair poor. I actually read the book, and that kind of caught my attention. But at the same time, I knew there had to have been a lot more. Basically, um, I'll just start from the beginning. It is in Harris County, which is in Houston. It's in a, it's the city is called Crosby. It's in a neighborhood that's known as the Newport Subdivision. It's just a, it's a small, it's a modest neighborhood. I'd say upper middle class. Ben and Jean Williams decided that they wanted to buy up some property for their retirement home. They wanted to build a home from the ground up exactly how they wanted it and they found a lot that was for sale and it was going to be in the, you know, this great new suburb. And so they, they went in, you know, hook, line and sinker. What they weren't told is that their area, which was known as section eight of the subdivision was built literally right atop a small African-American cemetery known as Black Hope Cemetery. Now I did do all of my research. The cemetery was, I mean, it, it, it definitely was there. It's still there to this day, um, although, you know, they built over it. The last people who were buried there were buried in, I believe, 1939. They move in, and almost immediately, they start noticing things. You know, this is after their home is built. They move in. They notice that the first thing that she told me that happened was the upstairs toilet would flush. And uh, she said, you know, it was just really, it was really random. It was really strange. But it started doing it more and more. But it would never do it unless they were walking down the hallway or coming toward the bedroom or the bathroom. And then it would do. And she said, she just chalked it up to, you know, something, you know, just weird. So she had their granddaughter. They did have two daughters. One of which, she was a little more on the, she was just a free spirit. We'll put her that way. Um, she had a daughter, so the, and that, the granddaughter came to live with them while mom was, you know, kind of sewing her wild oats. So the little girl came to live with them. You know, grandma, my toilet keeps flushing constantly. This is driving me crazy. 
So she calls the plumber. Plumber says, you know, I, I'm sorry, everything's perfect. It's in working order. I don't know what to tell you. Okay, not a big deal. Well, they things rocked on for a couple more weeks, and then her granddaughter came to her, and she said, Grandma, I can hear voices. And she said, what do you mean you can hear voices? She said, every time the toilet flushes, I can hear voices. And she said, are you sure? And so they walked upstairs, and this was now to the point to where every time that they would start down the hallway, the toilet would flush just randomly. So they went in there, and it was, in fact, flushing. And she said, you could hear what sounded like a conversation between four or five people. You couldn't make out what they were saying. It was muffled, but they were voices. And the minute that the toilet was through flushing, it would stop. Both the little girl and Mrs. Williams definitely heard it. So they, you know, still at this point, you know, it's not anything that's that's bothersome. They still don't think it's spirits. They're thinking that it's just sound traveling through water or something like that, which is kind of silly when you think about it, but I can't say that I wouldn't have thought the same thing. One night, her husband, uh, Ben, had come home, and they had, you know, their brand-new garage door and garage door opener, and he was trying to drive his truck up underneath the garage, and the, the door would just go up and down, up and down, up and down, constantly, and he couldn't get it to work. So the next morning, he takes a day off from work. He calls the electrician out or the garage guy, and he says, you know, everything's perfect. I don't know what to tell you. He said, okay. So they start thinking, you know, I mean, I, I just, what, you know, what have we moved into here? You know, all these crazy things are happening. They had tried to buy their granddaughter several pets, each of which ran off within 24 hours. They would not, I mean, they never saw them again. Um, they had gotten her a cat. Um, the cat was full grown. They had gotten her from the pound. She was full grown. She was spayed. She was very overweight they got her because she was just going to lay around. She didn't even spend one night, and she was gone. Um, they got her a puppy. I mean, a, a, she said a, a baby puppy. Um, now, they kept the puppy outside, but it was a fenced-in yard. This little puppy that couldn't have weighed more than probably three or four pounds dug its way out and left, never to be seen again. Um, so they couldn't keep any animals there. Well, right about the time that the animals are, you know, disappearing and they're, you know, they're really kind of beginning to wonder. Um, <clears throat> Jean, I'm sorry, Judith and Sam Haney moved in. They moved in down the way. Now, the Haney's um, come to play a pretty big part in, the, in all of this. The Haney's and the Williamses made friends. And the Haney's decided, you know what, we're going to build a pool. We're going to, you know, we're going to get an in-ground pool. So Sam hires, you know, the bulldozer and whoever to come and start digging. And he says, you know, okay, this is where I want the pool. I want you to, to start digging. And right before they were going to start digging, a man knocks on his door. He said the man, it was a black man. He had to have been in his 80s. He did not see a vehicle. The man was in a blue and white plaid shirt and blue jeans, and he said, like, old work boots, and he had on a baseball cap. 
and he told um, he told Mr. Haney, he said, "You don't want to do this." And he said, "What do you mean?" He said, "You don't want to build you don't want to build this pool." And he said, "Well, why?" He said, "Because there's two graves right there," and he pointed to the area where the pool is going to be. And he said, "You see that tree? There was an oak tree. I don't know, probably about twenty feet." from where they were going to, you know, build the pool. And on the tree was a black arrow that had been etched out and then painted like they took the paint and spray painted inside where they had etched it out. There was an arrow. And he said, there's two graves right there, too. He said, so you've got four graves on your property. He said, I know they're there because I was 13 years old and I dug all four of them. And so Mr. Haney said, Oh crap! <laughs> you know we can't we can't do this. We can't you know desecrate these graves. But at the same time, he believed the man that he wanted proof. And in the state of Texas, is you know you know you can't desecrate a grave. I mean you can't. And you know their Catholic faith also you know told them no that that's horrible. We can't do it. So they opted to not build the pool. But yet he wanted to know if in fact he had bodies on his property. So the same man who had hired, he had hired to dig out the pool came back a week later, and they started digging. And he said, if we, if we hit anything, we're going to stop, and we're going to call the authority. So he really wasn't expecting to hit anything. But sure enough, they hit wood. So he stopped everything. There were two side-by-side caskets. And, you know, they obviously stopped right then, called the authorities. Harris County comes out, and sure enough, there were two skeletons, uh, a man and a woman, you know, which they were to find out later after all the test results came back. And on the ring finger of the man were two wedding rings. Well, they're believed to be um, Betty and Charlie Thomas. That's who they're believed to be. Um, They died in 1929. And we're buried. In the state of Texas, if there's no other family members that can be reached with all of this, then it's up to the landowner or the homeowner. They can kind of do whatever they want to do. If there's no foul play, if you can't reach a family member. So the Haney said, you know what? Cover it back up. Put it back as it was. And let's, you know, let's just move on. And so Mrs. Haney decided to put a flower bed on top of it. They put the wedding rings back. They put everything back like it was, and she built a flower bed. Well, after that happened, they started having strange things happen. Footsteps, disembodied voices, doors slamming in the middle of the night, just, you know, electrical issues, um, just... I mean, she described it as just havoc. I mean, she said it was all the time. You almost got used to it. It was so normal. Now, down the road, the Williamses are still having their own issues. Mr. Williams came home from work. He worked shift work. So he came home. It was probably early, early morning, you know, we'll say 435-ish. And he walked through the kitchen. He opened up the, the refrigerator door to get some orange juice like he always did. And he said, out of the corner of his eye, he saw a shadow. So he looked, and he said he saw the perfect shadow of a man and a woman. And they were literally, they were black. 
he said they were blacker than the night. They actually stood out in the dark, and they made their way to the bedroom, to where his wife was. And he said, all I could tell myself was that they're not going to get to my wife. And he said he literally broke and ran and ran down the hall, and he, I mean, he, he just bailed across the bed over his wife. And he said, I felt them come right through me. He said, I can't describe it. It's like spider webs. He said, I felt them come right through me. Well, she didn't feel a thing. So that was their really their first time to ever be scared. Now, the very next morning, down the road at the Haney's house, Mrs. Haney had gotten up. She was looking for her red shoes that she always wore, the pair of red flats. She looked everywhere. She looked in every closet. She looked in every bedroom. She couldn't find these shoes, and she wore these shoes every day. Well, she finally gave up, put on another pair of shoes, and her husband, when he was leaving for work, she was, you know, a few minutes behind him. He was going out, out you know, out the door, and he noticed something out of the corner of his eye, and he looked, and he walked over there, and he said he immediately went back inside and told his wife, you have to see this. So she walked back outside, and there on Betty's grave were her red shoes. I mean, they were sitting there perfectly side by side. And that kind of gave them pause. But what really gave them pause was that in all of their research, they had learned that that particular day was Betty Thomas's birthday. And so it was like she was trying to maybe, you know, Charlie was trying to give her a birthday present. You know, who knows? I don't know. But for months, things keep happening. Streetlights, you know, nowhere else in the neighborhood or in, you know, this big neighborhood that except on Poppet's Way, which is the street that the Haynes and the Williams has lived on. Streetlights would come off and on constantly. There are actually police records where there has been calls made by four of the six families that lived which would be on Black Hope Cemetery for, they thought people were breaking in their homes. Um, there were calls about the streetlights to the city. There was one couple who never, they, the Williamses told me about them, but they never gave their name. They swore that someone was in their house just tearing it, to, tearing it apart. I mean, they thought they were going to die. They heard gunshots. They heard, like, it sounded like an axe hitting the wall. Cops come out. There's no one there. No one. And there is an actual police report. So that couple packed everything they had and left that morning. I mean, the next month they left. They were gone. Well, the Haney's were still having a lot of things happen. And so, you know what? They said, we're going to take the title company to court. They did not let us know that this was built over a cemetery, and we have proof. So we're going to take them to court. Well, they fought tooth and nail. I mean, they fought and fought and fought trying to get, you know, their money back, some of their investment. They lost. They ended up filing bankruptcy, and they packed everything they had, and they left, you know, their home. They left everything. 
they didn't take it as far as the Williamses did. Now, Ben and Jean, if they could go back, I'm sure they wouldn't do things the same way because they lost a lot more. They, you know, there was, this went on over a period of about six years that they had endured all this. Um, the death of pets, you know, every night something happening, you know, there were, she, you know, Jean thought that she had heard um, a rattlesnake, you know, in her bed. She said it was a distinct sound of a rattle, and she knew that's what it was. And she jumped out of her bed. There was nothing there. She said, you know, I, she ended up getting on antidepressant. She was, you know, trying everything she could, thinking that it was her, and it wasn't. I, I truly believe these people. I mean, I've talked to them. I've spent hours with them. They're all four. They're college educated. They're very, you know, they're very level-headed. But they lost a lot in this. And they, you know, it all came to a head one day whenever her daughter was home. Her daughter was 29 years old. And she said, you know what? If they want a body, then I'll show them a body. And so she started digging. And her daughter came out, and she said, you know, Mama, let me dig. You know, let me dig for a while. This was middle of, this was middle of June. It was hot. I mean, Texas summers are brutal, which I'm sure you guys, it's probably pretty hot up there. But, I mean, this was a, I mean, very hot summer. And so she said, Mama, let me dig. Her daughter was 29 years old, in perfect health. She weighed 121 pounds. She was 5 foot 7 feet tall. She was a high school and college track star. She was in perfect shape. She had been digging for about 10 minutes, and she died of a massive heart attack right there in front of her parents and her daughter. Oh, wow. And Jane will tell you that the reason that she died is because they desecrated those graves. And she said, if you want a body, I'll show you a body. And she lost her, I mean, she lost her child because of that. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Her words, if, if I'm not badly mistaken, were, we packed everything we had and we went where there was love and support because we couldn't do it anymore. So, I mean, and now the authorities did come out and eventually they did dig in the area where her daughter died. And sure enough, there were two more bodies there. You know, was it coincidence? Was it happenstance? Maybe. I mean, you know, I guess we'll never know. But I have never been more floored by a story than I was by this one. Now, I've talked to, you know, over the, the a period of years, I've talked to several other people who live there. And some will tell you that, yes, there's something there. Others will tell you, you know, get off my porch. <laughs> I don't want to see you. <laughs> and some will tell you that there's nothing there. I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. But I do know one thing. I believe every word that came out of these, I mean, the mouths of these people. I, I believe it. And if he had been there to meet them and spend the hours and days and months that I spent with them, you'd believe him too. I can promise you, you would. So, so. Let, let me ask you this. How many bodies were reportedly in that cemetery, or was there even a record of it? 42. 42. 42 bodies. 
the story you just told that took this took place in the early eighties, correct? Um, they moved in in nineteen eighty three. I mean, I'm sorry, nineteen eighty. So it yeah, it took place in the eighties. You know, I mean, um, I, I can. It, it still it still makes me pause to this day. And there's not a lot that that really does give me pause. Um, and I can usually dig through and find a reason, but I can't for this. I really can't. It was it was definitely scary for everybody that was involved. Um, it was scary for me. You know, I can remember there was one night I had worked until probably about two thirty in the morning, and I had um, I had a, a Toyota Celica at the time. It was brand new, and I had my sunroof open, and I was driving back, and it's about a two and a half hour drive, and I was on I ten. And it was the night that we had first started talking about the desecration of graves. And my car stopped. I mean, everything just, it, it, my lights went out, uh, inter, you know, interior lights went out, everything, my car just, it died completely. And so, thank God I knew enough to put it in neutral and, you know, get over on the shoulder. And there was a highway patrolman who I guess had seen it who pulled in behind me. And he checked everything. Everything was fine. I turned the key. It started right back up. So I thought, okay, that, that's kind of weird. But I didn't think that much of it until a week later, the same exact thing happened to me um, coming home from another visit with the Haney's. So, you know, it. I mean, and there's some other things that I questioned about that happened to me during this whole time. I've never been one to dream. I just, I don't dream. I think in my whole, my whole 40 years, I may have had maybe five dreams in my life. And the whole time that I was working on this, I had nightmares. I mean, wake you up in a sweat nightmares. And and they were nightmares about things that I couldn't even dream of. I mean, just evil. And And that's not me. I mean, you guys know me. I think I'm probably the the least likely person to even have an evil bone in her body. But it was just, it was odd. But I still, you know, I kept on and I kept on and I kept on until I finished it. And now, you know, I'm a little bit nervous bringing it all back up again because uh, obviously there's something there that doesn't want to be disturbed. And here we go again. (laughs) So I, I don't know. But luckily, you know, I didn't lose anything out of the whole deal like they did. And, um, you know, I went, I went to her funeral. I felt like I needed to. And the one thing that I can remember, and like I said, I mean, I grew up in a funeral home. I've seen countless, you know, bodies that are in caskets and, and, you know, things like that. And they're always, you know, the funeral directors, makeup artists, things like that, are always able to make your loved ones look pretty, you know, nine times out of ten that they look they look well. But I remember thinking that they couldn't get the look of fear off of her face. She looked scared to death. And and it was just I can't describe it except that she she looked scared and her eyes were closed, her mouth was closed, but she could she looked scared. And and I'll never forget that. So. Let me ask you a question. So, the neighborhood still exists today, correct? Absolutely. So, I guess the real question is, how does something like this happen? How does how does a cemetery 
that people obviously know are there is there that it exists how does it somewhere mm-hmm. during the course of time become development for a subdivision well it, i mean if you really think about it jerry we're probably all within feet of a grave of some sort i mean this the black hope cemetery was established in 1803 it was a very poor cemetery it was african-american and and unfortunately as much as i hate to say it those people will i mean they were looked over and years upon years records i mean records get lost people die you know obviously it wasn't a perpetual care cemetery it was you know cared for by a family or a church and as time went on it just dissipated and people forgot these people and it's really sad to think but it happens every day it it is sad because i mean what that means what had to have happened is I mean, I don't know who owned the land when it was a cemetery, but at some point in time, somebody bought that land and knew it was a cemetery. And, mm-hmm. you know, as time went, they just either just didn't care or sold it to somebody else who wanted to build uh, a neighborhood or a subdivision and just neglected to tell them because they didn't want to miss out on the money. But, yeah, it was it was a shitty way of doing doing business. And, and, and a horrible way it, to treat people's remains, obviously. I mean, absolutely it was. You know, Jean took me to, there was uh, where the gentleman who had they we had finally found out that um, he lived in this, this certain area of Houston. And so, or we thought he did. And we went down there. Of course, we didn't find him. But this area of Houston, uh, we did find his, you know, some nephews and some cousins, or they said they were his nephew or his cousins. But this area of Houston, it was a bad area. It was very poor. Um, and these people, they were just forgotten. And unfortunately, I mean, money probably paid, I mean, it played a big part in it. And, and I, I mean, I believe personally that someone knew about that cemetery for many years and chose not to say anything because they didn't want to miss out on the money. I know we mentioned and, already already that this was kind of the, uh, from my understanding, and you'll know more about it than I will, but this uh, this story of the Black Hope uh, Cemetery and, and the neighborhood and the mm-hmm. resulting uh, events were the inspiration for uh, Steven Spielberg to do Poltergeist. Did you get a chance to uh, dive into that to see how, how what the truth is in that, or did you, did you try to reach out to Spielberg by any chance during this time? I did, and I actually received one email, one email from his publicist. Um, and the only part that they took from the, the, the Black Hope Horror was that infamous part of the swimming pool with the skeletons that are coming up. Do you know, do you know that part of the yep. movie? Yep, we've talked about that. Yeah, I think it's like, yeah. Um, well, that's the only part that they took and used. Um, now the whole, you know, the whole thought process was there, but they only used that one part, which still, I mean, that's pretty close to, you know, I mean, of course it wasn't hundreds of skeletons or anything, but, um, they did use that one part, but the whole thought process was there and that's, you know, that's how it happened. Did so, you did you know that in the um, movie, the Poltergeist movie, that those skeletons in the pool scene were actually real skeletons? 
Is that true? Yep. It's I've a, read it, that. It's 100 percent true. Spielberg it's, Spielberg said that it was going to be more costly to actually buy fake skeletons than it was to get the real thing. But they didn't tell any of the staff until after the fact or any of the actors. So when they were in the pool scene, uh, Joe Beth Williams with the skeletons, she had no clue they were real skeletons until after the fact. Oh, now that just would have... Well, I, you know, honestly, I probably wouldn't want him to tell me either. <laughs> right. Because I, I would not want them to tell me. Just let me think they're fake and they're plastic and they just look real and I'm good to go. Because I would not have been happy to be in all that mud anyway. So throw in skeletons and I'm just, no. Mm-hmm. Well, they had a lot of I mean, they had a lot of funny stuff going on in the set. We talked about it in a previous episode, so I won't rehash all of it. But the Poltergeist movie curse, um, all the people who died, mm-hmm. and then you also had uh, like Joe Beth Williams said where she was staying at. There were like pictures aligning the uh, the stairwell, and they would all get crooked and knocked over and stuff like that. And everybody was convinced that the problems they had was because they used those real life skeletons. And that could be. I mean, that that could be. You know, who, who's to say? Um, I, I'm. I mean, I'm obviously I'm a believer. Um, I, you know, I, it's just there's too many things out there that we can't explain. I mean, every day, if you really want to break it down, something happens to somebody that you know or to you that happens that you can't. I mean, you just can't. You can't you can't figure it out. So, so do you, I mean, do you I have any cool stories from uh, paranormal stories from the funeral home you grew up in? Anything that happened there that you want to discuss? Um, I, yeah, I have a couple. Um, now, <laughs> it was okay. The man who owned the funeral home was actually the mayor. My mother was the secretary. She worked there for years. So, um, all of us kids that, you know, our parents worked there, um, we grew up together. You know, like I said, we would play hide-and-go-seek in the casket room, and I know that's morbid, and uh, <laughs> but we did. Um, now, there was one time where there was a little girl. I was in the fourth grade, I think, and there was this little girl, and I, I hated her. I don't know why I hated her, but she was a bully. That's probably why I hated her. She was mean. And so... Um, I decided, I got the bright idea that we were going to order 12 large pepperoni pizzas and send them to her mama's house. And so she would get in trouble for it. And we were going to do it from the funeral home phone because this was before caller ID. So we didn't think we could get caught. And it was myself and there were were three others. Uh, There was uh, like three other kids who were there. It was after school one day. And we were all in the lounge and we were like, okay, let's do it. And they were like, Andrea, you call. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. You know, what's the number to Domino's? So I'm literally in the process of doing the rotary dial phone, and this woman walks in, and she's in a brown suit, and she's got this, like, little hat thing on her head. It had, like, baby's breath, if you know what that looks like, those little flowers, you know. Um, And she walked in, and she walked over to the table, and she didn't touch any of us, and she said, hang that phone up right now. I mean, just as clear, and I looked up at her, and I didn't say anything, and she said, I said, hang that phone up right now. And so I said, yes, ma'am, 
and I hung up the phone, and we were, all of us kids were just looking up at her, and then she, she turned around, and she walked out, and she turned to the right to go down the hall, and, I mean, that was it, and we thought, we didn't think anything else of it, so, you know, about 30 minutes later, we're all, you know, playing in my mom's office, and I said, Mom, who was that lady, and my mom said, what are you talking about, and um, Brandon, one of the little boys I went to school with, he said, that lady in, in the, the brown suit. She came in, and Andrea got in trouble and for, you know, being on the phone. And I remember I hit him because he was about to spill beans, and I was about to order pizza. <laughs> and, um, and my mom said, I, you guys were in the, y'all were in the lounge, and the only entrance is, you know, through the back, and we keep that locked, especially when y'all are here. And, you know, she said, well, what did she look like? And so we described her, and... My mom didn't say anything at all. She never missed a beat. And um, she held that story for probably 20 years. And she finally she finally told me that story. When she brought out, you know when you go to a funeral and they'll give you the memorial folders? You know, the person who passed. Uh-huh. And there's always photos and things like that. And I was 23. And she brought that to me. And she said, this is the woman that you saw. Her family, she was in the front, you know, the front room, uh, you know, in her casket, obviously. She had died. <laughs> and her funeral was that day. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was pretty weird. And the only other story that I have, um, you know, it's, it's more sad than anything. Um, one of the funeral directors that was there um, had been there for years. He was a single guy. He was a stand-up comedian as well, and he did this on the side, you know, a great guy. And I babysat his kids. You know, he was a single dad. He had twins, Randy and Ryan, um, and I babysat them. And he, I was babysitting them. I was probably 17, I guess. And uh, I got there that night, and he said, hey, he said, I'm, I'm not coming home. And I said, okay, you know, no big deal, because that, that wasn't, that really wasn't anything odd. I mean, he would go out on the weekends and party. And, um, but he just said, I'm not coming home. Give me a hug. And I said, okay. And so, you know, he left, and he went, and he picked up his girlfriend. They went and ate dinner, and um, he dropped her off, and he went to his new home. And he, we had, no one had any clue, but, um, that night, I, I had I had a dream, and um, we were just standing there, and it was Randy and I, you know, the dad, and we were leaning up against the truck, and um, he said, hey, he said, I'm going to miss you, and I said, I know I'll miss you too, and that was it, and happy as could be, and that was it, that was all the dream, but um, my dad knocked on the door, my dad was the fire chief for the city of Orange, knocked on the door early that morning, and I thought maybe Randy had come home, so I opened the door. And my dad had his, um, his like, you know, the, his uniform shirt untucked, and it was unbuttoned, and he looked haggard, and he said, I'm going to need you to sit down. And I said, okay, what happened? Randy had gone, taken his girlfriend out, gone to the funeral home, laid out his clothes, his music, the letters to his children, the letters to my family, and he killed himself. I mean... You know, it's very sad, very sad. He had battled depression for a long time, but we had all, you know, we had all thought he was doing really good. But, um, yeah, it's more sad than anything. 
I guess. That's very you know. sad. So, yeah, if there's one thing that I could say to everybody, it's, you know, get help. You know, don't hold it in because it's not worth it. I mean, it's not. But I didn't have a dream, you know, and I think he was just saying, hey, you know, I'm not going to be around anymore. That's, a, that's at least you know. At least I got that. It's sad. I mean, it's uh, a story we hear all too often, uh, unfortunately. And I'm glad that on our show that we talk openly about suicide and urge people to get help. And um, some people don't want to touch the subject. And especially like in in our situation here, we do a lot of comedy and and joking and making fun Mm -hmm. of, of subjects. That's not something that we joke around with obviously and and uh that's the one that's the one subject that we will always be completely serious about uh uh, is suicide on Mm -hmm. this show and um it's Um, it's sad it's very sad and and there's there's so much that can be done um and i know that that he may have felt that this, this was the only way out but I mean, there's just, you know, I just think that the more open you can be about it, and, and I'm very proactive in that, you know, with, with my girls, and, you know, you got to talk. I mean, you, you've got to talk. Even if you don't want to talk, just talk. <laughs> you know, if you don't want to talk to me, I don't care. Talk to somebody. Absolutely. Yeah. Andrea, thank yeah. you so much yes. for... Oh, thank you, Jerry. You you have been a great friend to the show, and I, even before the article, uh, we've talked several times. You've came on the show now. This is the second time. Uh, you've always got awesome stories, and we're going to have you on again because you have more awesome stories. And I just think... I uh, know. I can't wait. <laughs> I, I'm glad we our paths crossed. I'm glad you're a fan of the show, and I'm glad that uh, you felt the need to um, share us with as many people as possible because it means a lot to us. And we greatly appreciate it. Hey, anything I can do. And I appreciate you having me on. You know, I'm just a small town girl. You know, that's it. Just trying to, you know, trying to make it, make a difference, you know. So any way that I can help, I'm more than happy to. All right, babe. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you, Jerry. Bye. I know we can't thank her enough for what she did for us, and she sure is a good storyteller, isn't she? She sure is. Thank you for sharing that with us. And she's got tons of other stories. So, you know, every every two, three, four months, I'm going to try to get her on and tell some of these stories because she really specializes in getting these uh, these haunted house stories. And uh, uh, it's kind of amazing because you would think this time of year there would be all kinds of people writing stories on this. And she told me there's just not a lot of people. So when she writes one of these stories everybody's picking them up just because nobody else is writing them. So you, you would think this time of year that there would be a lot of people wanting <laughs> scary stories, but oh, I guess well, nobody does it. So They don't uh, know what they're missing out on. Yeah. So, guys, thank you so much. We appreciate everything you do for us. We would not be uh, anywhere without you guys, and we definitely sure as hell wouldn't have people writing stories about us if it wasn't for you guys tuning in every week. So thank you so much. We can't say thank you enough. Yes, we definitely can't. And, man, it's just an amazing ride we're on right now. And we appreciate every one of you all. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next week. we got a good story for you. We're going to do the Jersey Devil, and I'll have a few other surprises by then. Everybody have a good week. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The darkness awaits.